the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. The title of our sermon is God's Foolish Wisdom. This is part five, and we begin looking at the ministry. And so far, starting in the end of chapter one of 1 Corinthians, we've been looking at how Paul contrasts the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And we have seen that they're not just slightly different, they are worlds apart, so much so that man sees the cross and sees God's wisdom as foolish, and God, who frankly his opinion and his truth is the only one that matters, sees and declares man's wisdom not only as foolish, but God's wisdom destroys, utterly decimates the wisdom of man. But God's wisdom isn't like that. It is often not what you expect because it's not worldly. It's not based on our experience and our experience which leads to expectations of more similar experiences. God's wisdom is not focused on what makes this life better. It's not devised from the finite mind living in the finite world. And we saw this centered in the cross. Again, only the the infinitely wise mind of God could come up with such a solution to man's problem, sin. And since the wisdom of God surrounds his salvation plan, it naturally follows that the message and the preaching of that message must follow that same wisdom, and indeed it does. For us, It's important to not merely know the wisdom in the message, in other words, to know about the cross, to know how and why we are saved, but also to present, to preach, to share, to give that message to others in light of that wisdom. So how do we do that? Especially when what we are presenting is a wisdom that man will naturally reject. In and of themselves, they They can't even understand it. The natural man does not comprehend the things of the Spirit. So how do we, as finite people, who yes, know and have experienced the wisdom of God, but it is still an otherworldly wisdom of God, how do we present that in line with the wisdom of the message? Well, this morning we will see five lessons for evangelism, for our ministries in presenting the gospel. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry, or specifically his preaching. 
And if you recall, this goes uh, in line with, with what we have been seeing, where, we, where Paul rather set the foundation of the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God, highlighting, of course, God's wisdom. And then the past couple of weeks, we saw two, or the first of two practical manifestations of that wisdom. The first was the call, the salvific call. And now even more practical for us, as we live our lives in this world, the ministry, the preaching, evangelism. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, though we have entered a new chapter in 1 Corinthians, we are continuing the same flow of thought. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, starting in verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The first lesson for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching is that the mindset is distinct. The mindset is distinct. And for all of these, you could replace the with are. Our mindset is distinct, or rather our mindset should be distinct when it comes to ministry and evangelism. Let me read for you again, verse 1. Paul speaking of himself, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now, it's very important to understand that Paul is not referring to this epistle when he says, when I came to you. He's not referring to instruction to the Christians. He is referring to the first time he went to Corinth when they were unbelievers there and he preached the gospel to them. And as we know, they were saved and the the church at Corinth was established. Now, from this verse, we see that Paul's manner of preaching was distinct from the world, from, from the way the world would do things as should be ours. Distinct meaning, of course, it's not the same. It's different than the world. And the idea of how he approaches his preaching ministry, we've already seen back when we started talking about the wisdom of God. In fact, back in verse 17 of chapter 1, it was Paul saying that he did not come with cleverness of speech that really initiated or set off this entire discourse on the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. A second lesson for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching is that the message is direct. We've seen that the mindset is distinct. Secondly, and our last for this morning, the message is direct. Look at verse 2 with me. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul tells the Corinthians that he made a deliberate choice to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The word determine indicates exactly that, a willful choice. 
And the tense that he uses in the Greek indicates that he had decided on this before ever going to Corinth, and we can safely assume before going anywhere and embarking on any sort of ministry, that he chose to only focus on Jesus Christ in the crucifixion. This verse explains the reasoning behind his behavior in verse 1. The directness of the message didn't need superiority of wisdom, or superiority of speech, rather, or worldly wisdom. He wasn't interested in talking about the insights or ideas of man or society, not even his own. Let me put it this way. In Paul's gospel ministry, all he cared about was what would honor the Lord through the proclamation of God's saving grace. He was not swayed by the expectations or opinions of man. He was not seduced by the allure of fame or fortune. He was singularly focused on the gospel. On a side note, this also explains why he could endure such hardships. Why he could live in poverty, where he could live with a full belly. Why he could be stoned and beaten and shipwrecked. And not just so focused on his circumstances that he quits because he was so singularly focused on the gospel. And again, it's not that Paul just threw all worldly knowledge aside. Even that knowledge was used for the purposes of his singular focus and passion, the gospel. In fact, we, we're going to see this, and we're going to see this right now, but when we come to it uh, later in our study of 1 Corinthians, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. And we see how Paul uses his understanding of his culture, his worldly knowledge, his worldly wisdom, not at the forefront of his ministry, but as a means to even bolster his opportunities to share the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So in all of these situations, Paul had to use his knowledge of particular cultures and social cues to present the gospel to different people. So he had worldly wisdom and knowledge and used it in his ministry, not in place of his ministry. But he avoided the temptation to wax eloquent on anything outside of God's saving truth. He concludes, in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It reminds me also of the famous sermon on Mars Hill or the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. Consider the, uh, the best evangelistic sermon 
in the scriptures outside of the sermons of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's there. He's kind of on the run, uh, being persecuted, being pushed out. He's waiting for his friends to join him. But he looks around and he sees all these these, uh, pagan statues and centers of worship and altars. And he, he is so singularly focused on the gospel that he cannot stay quiet. Though this was an unplanned stop in his itinerary, he preached the gospel. And he noticed what they did there was there are all these statues. And just in case they missed a god, these polytheists had a, an altar and the inscription, rather than having the name of a god or goddess, it said, to the unknown god or to an unknown god just to cover all their bases. And so Paul uses even the wisdom of understanding a pagan, sinful, ungodly, polytheistic religion and uses that as a platform and says, let me tell you about this unknown God and goes on to explain a complete and full explanation of the gospel, starting with creation. If you want to know how to properly share the gospel from start to finish, um, there's extra things that people don't necessarily need to know to be saved. Acts 17, read it. It'll be helpful for you. But back to the point. He used this wisdom. He used his intellect, his intellectual faculties, his abilities to observe, to use that as a means to share the gospel. We need to do this. This is this is one of the reasons, and I don't know the mind of God outside of his revealed will, but the Lord has placed you in different places for different reasons. Right? For, for the accountant, you can... You can Talk to your coworkers on a level that I cannot. To, to, to teachers, to instructors, to engineers, whatever it may be. You, you've heard me say this before, but back when I was in college ministry, uh, people, uh, as a group, there's probably no place where legalism within conservative churches is more prevalent than within college ministries. And so people would come to me as the pastor and they would say, hey, these people are only going to church on Sunday. They're not going to small group or prayer meeting. Uh, How do I confront them? Or they would come to me and they would feel guilty and say, am I in sin because I can't go to midweek small group because I got to study for the boards? And I would just encourage them and say, listen, the Lord is preparing you as a pre-med student. To get into med school and to have a practice so that you have access and ability to preach the gospel in your field of expertise in a way and with an accessibility that I as a preacher or I as a normal individual in another field could not, even as a patient. And so we need to see this. We need to understand this. I'm not saying to sin according to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We are not to actively forsake the assembling of the believers together. We need to be at church. We need to be a part of live streams. We need to be actively engaged. But we need to be careful uh, that we don't misinterpret Scripture. So my point is not I'm I'm not giving you a license to avoid fellowship and small groups and things like that. Uh, My point is that you have to understand 
that your place that God has put you in, use that. Use your secular understanding and your, your secular wisdom to, to, to be able to convey the message to people that other people cannot access. So this is what Paul did. And you see in, in all of these things, uh, he was able uh, to speak to the Jews. He was Jews, even though he was no longer under the law, under law. And then he goes on and he lists all of those different types of people. Now we must note that when we read the epistles, he is clearly giving instruction outside of just the gospel message. Understand that in context, what he's referring to here is when he first came to Corinth to preach the gospel, as uh, I mentioned earlier. But even that instruction to believers is centered around what he says is his focus here. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's clear. It's direct. See, with Paul, we find no excuse, no justification, not even sympathy toward those who take certain things out of the gospel, even if that means larger crowds are reached. Of course, you're going to get more people to come to you when you take out the problem of sin and depravity. Nobody wants to be told how bad they are how much they fail in the eyes of the only one who matters, especially when they're trying to be good people. Of course you're going to fill stadiums when you tell people that God exists for you rather than you existing for God. And of course you'll be invited onto major secular talk shows when you tell people that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and rich in this life. Because your message will be no different than the unbelieving talk show host. They invite these false teachers on because they're all preaching the same message. But the preacher has wider influence because he invokes the name of God. But what happens when you preach total, total depravity? Taking up your cross. Prosperity guaranteed only in the life to come. Small crowds? Maybe. Persecution? Maybe. Relative obscurity, maybe. Glorify God, absolutely. Serve the creator and the created, without a doubt. Offer men eternal life, yes. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 of 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Stop there. He's talking to Timothy, who has a pastoral ministry, but this applies to all of us. He says in season and out of season. This means all the time. You need to be ready now to share the gospel and not when you see that opportunity and you're fumbling and thinking, what do I do? What do I say? How do I present it? 
like a soldier of a country that isn't at war, still trains every single day of his life. He is just as equipped to fight right now as if he were on the battlefield. Or the athlete trains during the off-season. He doesn't just pick up the bat or the ball or put on the helmet when, when it's an hour before his first official game. Much to many of your dismay, the NBA is canceled, but you're not going to show up at Steph Curry's house and say, hey, can you make a three-pointer? And he says, no, I'm out of practice. It's off-season. I can't do it. You can guarantee that he's practicing still every day. And then Paul continues and gives his reasoning in 2 Timothy 4. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Did you catch that? False teachers don't need to twist arms. They don't need to convince people to believe what they're saying. It already appeals to them. In fact, in verse 3, False teachers say what they say because the people have, quote, accumulated for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. You think there would be multimillionaire false teachers if it weren't for the people wanting them, wanting to hear what they say? The end result in verse 4, after they have gotten these teachers for themselves, is that they will turn away from gospel truth and they will turn to myths. Myths. That that seems like a strong word. We understand it from 2,000 years ago. But today, what's a myth? I think a a modern day, in a modern day time, even in a, in a, a, a Christianized country like ours, people follow myths. What's a myth? What's a myth today? The teachings of cults and cultural fables. Yes, those are myths. But myths are also found in many self-proclaimed Christian churches. Anything that is not the complete gospel, even if the message contains the word Jesus and talks about the cross as the main characters, can be myths. Jesus died for you to be happy. Myth. You are inherently a good person and God has a wonderful plan for your life. Myth. Come to Jesus, and your life will be pain-free. Myth. By the way, for our personal evangelism, this speaks again to the fear of man. It's not, what if they don't like my message or pressure me to change it? It's when. According to 2 Timothy 4, if they had their choice, the messenger would not be you. And the message would not be the gospel. So of course, there's going to be some pushback. Of course, there's going to be questions. Of course, there's going to be confusion. But that goes back to the main point. Our message is direct. We've said this before and earlier. When you combine worldly wisdom to God's wisdom in the gospel message, of course, they're going to be confused. I've said this before, I'll say it again. You cannot debate someone into heaven. You cannot trick them into heaven. Just preach 
the gospel in its directness, in its clarity and simplicity. It's a proven winner, friends. It is the only proven winner. The gospel does not rest on the magnetism of big personalities. The effectiveness of the gospel is not based on whether you can win a debate or if you can prove God exists or answer any and all theological questions. Its power does not falter because you're a sinner, because you're scared, or because you lack eloquence. The power of the gospel is found in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. The story is complete. The message is complete. There is nothing else you need to add because nothing can change what he has done. Nothing can alter what he has finished. Nothing can steal his victory. Nothing can change his promises. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and let God handle the rest. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God and Paul's preaching. The mindset is distinct. The message is direct. We'll look at the remaining three weeks. Let's pray. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.